Hey, what's up, everyone? Welcome to oh, oh there we go. Oh, welcome to the live stream. Today we're going to be talking about how you can stand out in your art school portfolios. And if you want to learn how to turn your artistic weakness into your strength, then check out artprof.org where we have lots of free resources, tutorials, critiques, art dares, and all that cool stuff. So, Clara, why don't you get us started on the conversation for today? Yeah, we're going to show you some specific formats and subject matter that you can tackle in your art school portfolio that we don't tend to see very much because Jordan, you've reviewed a whole bunch of portfolios. Would you say that similar things tend to pop up? Yeah, there's very similar subject matter, even like things like compositions. Um, and I think there's this sort of block that a lot of 17, 18 year olds have where there's just, they, a lot of people don't think to move past that. So I think it is a topic worth discussing. <laughs> so the first suggestion we're gonna give you is unusual surfaces. Because I think for a lot of people, the default reaction is, oh, I'm gonna make a drawing. There's a white sheet of paper, right? But you don't have to do that. There's so many other things you can draw on, like this image here was drawn on a piece of plywood and then I believe she added a piece of burlap that was dipped in wax. Or what's going on here with the surface, Jordan, that's really different? Oh, that's so cool. It's like, it looks like it's cardboard and, and it's carved out of, uh, or some of the shapes have been carved out to show the drawing and in the background has like a halo effect. That's actually really awesome. I like that. And then this piece, I believe has hot wax that's been dripped over the surface. And so just getting past that white sheet of paper that pretty much everybody picks up, or even just canvas is pretty ordinary. And when you try a different surface, it gets you to react very differently. Like Jordan, how much of the time were you just drawing on a white sheet of paper in high school? <laughs> About 99.8% of the time. And if you were to ask me that same question now, I would give you the same thing, <laughs> maybe even a hundred. <laughs> Another thing is you don't always have to use art supplies from the art store. I think that's another assumption people make is I wanna make something, go to the art store, see what's there. But there's a ton of stuff that is not from the art store that's super fun. For example, this collage is made out of cut pieces of leaves that were then painted on top of. Why do you think it matters, Jordan, that Luna used leaves for this? First of all, Luna did an excellent job. This is so cool. Um, but I think one of the reasons you can use this, one, because it's so prevalent. Like you can find a bunch of leaves and have them be different shapes and textures and all that stuff. Um, and it's an unusual thing that we recognize, but you can learn how to incorporate that into your art and give it a unique flair to your image. Okay, Chaya says, I'm applying for an MFA in film, specifically experimental film, interested in exploring installation. Do you offer paid portfolio reviews for this kind of work? We absolutely do. We will critique portfolios for a fee. It doesn't have to be MFA or BFA. You could just be an independent artist. Maybe you just want feedback on your work. So if you want information on that, the link is in the YouTube video description below, and you can check that out at some point. And how about this, Jordan? Isn't this a cool use of junk mail? <laughs> yeah, 
that's probably the best use of junk mail I've ever seen, actually, because every other time it's like those posters where they cut out the letters and it's like a, they make the ransom notes, you know, on TV. <laughs> no, but I think these are really fun. I love that figure, how dynamic it is. Even this person just raided their kitchen and just got food and arranged it. And it's actually a really beautiful design. And so this is the type of thing you just don't see it that much because Jordan, if you're an admissions officer and you're looking at all these portfolios, how many portfolios do you think one admissions officer looks at in a single season? Thousands at the minimum. Like, I mean, if you're, there's maybe couple hundred per year or per class and those are the accepted people and you're talking about a school that only admits 30 percent of students then you're probably definitely looking at thousands of you know multiple uh, of those so yeah you you definitely want to stand out in, the, in that well i think what starts to happen once you've seen i don't know 500 portfolios they all start to look the same after a while i'm sorry to tell you that because i know a lot of you work really hard in your portfolios but that does happen when everybody's drawing on white paper with the same materials things do tend to mesh together so mixed media is a great way to get things going for example this is a acrylic painting tutorial that lauren welch did and she actually takes coffee grounds and she mixes them into her acrylic paint. I mean, have you ever done that, Jordan? <laughs> no, I, I have not done that, but I've seen other people uh, take like plastic and like glue it onto their painting or for tin foil or just some material. I had a hard enough time with paint by itself as it was, so I didn't <laughs> venture out too much. <laughs> I have to say though, sometimes the mixed media, it can actually make things quote, easier because when you're mixing say sesame seeds into your paint the paint sort of takes on a life of its own and it's almost like you don't have to work as hard sometimes and that's to me the beauty of mixed media is that the integration of all the parts becomes so substantial that you can sort of get away with a, <laughs> a less exciting composition because people are like Ooh, look at all these supplies and all these textures, and this is not what I anticipated seeing. Like, how does the string change this drawing in this image? Uh, just, I, th I think we talk a lot about texture and, you know, if you're just talking about a painting, sometimes the paint kind of lifts off the canvas and there's that tactile feeling with this. I think it just makes you feel more immersed in the piece. So instead of just seeing the little lines of string actually put in the piece, you could, you know, reasonably touch it or, you know, move it around. Or if the wind blows, you could see it shift. And it adds a whole different layer of complexity to the image. I also think that mixed media tends to be something people just don't really do very much, at least in high school. It was just, oh, I'm making a charcoal drawing. Now I'm making an acrylic painting. It never occurs to a lot of people in high school to blend things together, especially things like string and a crown drawing. So I'm wondering, people in the chat, who here has done mixed media? And what do you think mixed media has to offer an artist that maybe you don't get when you work straight with acrylic paint? Because I think it's really fun when you look at all the different media and it's like, you don't know where one begins and where one ends. That's the challenge. Sometimes it just looks like two media next to each other, but getting them to integrate really successfully is very 
challenging and it's really fun to just play with these supplies. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think part of it also just, I wonder if it's even recommended in high school when you're experimenting with this stuff, you know, cause our teachers and, uh, you know, they might be talking about the basics, but I don't know if they're ever pushing to try something that out there and that out of the box, especially when you're talking about applying to schools where there is kind of a, I don't, you almost have to be safe because you're trying to get into this school that, you, that you've been dreaming about. Lindsay says, I work digitally, so my challenge is creating texture to make it look analog and give it depth. Well, Jordan, I know there's a lot of artists out there who do both digital and traditional media. For example, you might have a drawing that starts traditional. Maybe you scan it alter it digitally and then print it out and rip it up and turn it into a collage. I mean, there's so many options for blending digital and traditional together. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's there's a lot of options. And I think the thing with digital that a lot of people should begin to recognize, is it's just a tool. It's just like a paintbrush or a pencil. And though you can do so much with it, that's really all it is. It's not a make art button. So you still have to apply that same creativity, creativity that you would in a traditional piece into your digital piece. And it can create way more options for you in the long run. Well, I really like this point from Contemporary Sumera, who says, I do lots of mixed media painting. Most of my works have tons of textures. I absolutely love the fact that you're able to experience a piece by touching it as well. There's definitely a physical experience with mixed media that you're just not gonna get with other materials. So definitely just, try it. Like you got nothing to lose. If you try it and you hate it, fine. But it's something to really give it a shot. Okay. Let's talk about this political art, current events, and history. Jordan, why do you think people in high school, it never occurs to them most of the time to tackle any of these subjects? You know, it's interesting. I Sometimes I wonder if it's that people at that age don't always think about those things. Like when I was 17, 18, I wasn't thinking about politics or current events. <laughs> like that just wasn't on my on my radar. But the other thing I think for those who are interested, it might just be fear of, you know, of attacking someone or attacking someone's values who's on the other end because you don't know who's going to be looking at your work or what they believe. And you don't want to give yourself an unfair bias by sending in something that is so, uh, that is so marked with, something that's disagreeable. Well, Ginger Cell says, I thought political art would be bad because you know it's controversial. Well, if you were an admissions officer, Jordan, and you saw one of these political pieces, would you hold it against the student? <laughs> I personally wouldn't, um, but I don't know. I've never been on the admissions side before, so I don't, I don't know. Some people might have uh, those feelings. But I think personally that it's always good to push those boundaries because what it says about you as an artist is you have strong opinions about things and you are willing to uh, go in unsafe territory or you're willing to try things out. And that to me is actually the mark of a leader. And that's the type of person I think schools would love to have in their institution as someone who can hold up the values that they believe in. And we're not saying that, oh, you must do this <laughs> to stand out. We're saying here's an option. If this is something, maybe you are interested in politics and it does fascinate you, this is something you should not 
say, oh, that's hands off because I'm going to piss off the admissions officer. I think it's showing that you're willing to engage in something beyond self-portrait, still alive. Because once you've seen thousands of those, they get pretty old after a while, or even something from history. Like, for example, this is an illustration of the Crucible, which was about the Salem witch trials. And this is such an old historical event that I don't think people see it the same way because it's not something that's happening right now. And so there are many different degrees of how you can engage with history and current events. I think it's something that would be worth at least just considering. Although Adrian says adults dismiss the political opinions of high school students most of the time. That may be true, but in an art school portfolio, is that really what it's about? Like judging a student for their political opinions? Uh, I, I don't think it should be. Um, I think if I were an admissions officer and I was to see a political piece, I would base my opinion on how strongly their views are coming across. Like, do I understand what the image is about? Is it communicating well? Because that's really what it is. When you're creating art, it's about visual storytelling or making a point in a visual forum. So if those things pass, then I imagine it should be fine. Well, so Gary says, I actually just started making slightly political, religious, current event related art, not thought about adding it to my transfer portfolio, but maybe I need to reconsider now. I don't think you should do political or current event work if you have no interest, because that's a bad idea. If you're like, oh, I don't want to, don't do it, okay? There's probably lots of things we're going to recommend today there you go oh that is not my cup of tea but we're just saying hey not a lot of people do this and honestly if you're an admissions officer i'm sorry to tell all of this but do you know how long they look at each image it's literally like this that's it i mean it's just enough to get the image and then move on because you're looking at thousands upon thousands of images it's not like they're looking at this one image for 10 minutes and basing your admissions on that. So in some ways, I would see that as a little liberating. <laughs> People aren't thinking that hard about each individual piece. C. Cantrell says, I think the most important thing a student can bring to the art, por art portfolio is themselves. That's what will make them distinctive. Well, Jordan, how do we do that? Because you hear that all the time. Be yourself, show who you are. Like, what does that mean in an art school portfolio? That is tough. I, I imagine that for me, I just put things that I was genuinely interested in drawing. I think I think there's a you can tell when someone is interested in creating the piece that they're working on and they submit that. There's a authenticity there it's almost indescribable it's sort of like a like when you hear a song and you could tell that the singer is just putting their heart out into it it's almost something you can't really see so um so yeah just do things that you're interested in and i think that's sorry part of the point of this whole stream is try different mediums try talking about things that you want to talk about if it's religious topics if it's political topics if it's you know, socioeconomic, whatever the issue is, talk about it and make your points known. And I also think if you're making a portfolio piece because you think you should, that's not a very good idea. Like people will say in the Discord, they'll ask me questions like, oh, shouldn't I have a photorealistic still life? I'm like only if you really want to. I mean, there's no literal requirement that says 
draw a photorealistic still life in pencil. I mean, maybe there are schools that have something that's specific, but there really aren't that many. And so you have to think a little bit bigger. And I know what people reacted to when we said, hey, maybe political art or history, a lot of people do go, oh, no, 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 I'm not touching that. But then again, maybe if you touch it, you'll get into something that could be really interesting and different than what everybody else is doing. All right, Jordan, when you tell somebody to make a drawing, what is the shape of the paper most of the time? Rectangles or <laughs> squares. <laughs> yes. So if you make an artwork and it's not a rectangle, it's like, oh my God, wow, this is revolutionary. Mm -hmm. This is such a simple thing to do and it can get great results. Actually, this is a collage that one of my students made of me. And it was made out of these like see-through pieces and film. And it was this very funny shape and it was just hilarious. But I think one of the charms of this piece is that it's not on a rectangle. Like what's fun about the way this piece is arranged? I mean, it's just going, you know, up and down into the side. There's, there's no, Rhyme, I don't say there's no rhyme or reason, but it just feels open. It feels free. And I, when you're not confined to a specific box, it automatically puts things in a different context and you get to experience it in a slightly different way than the average person is used to. I think that it's clearly a really humorous piece. And the way things are scattered around, it just has this really playful, whimsical quality. And if you had it on a rectangular sheet of paper, maybe it would have felt a little bit more constricted. Or what about this? How does the shape of this change our perception of the composition? Uh, you know, I first, I'm not really thinking as much about the negative space, because if it were in a box, and like, let's say just this photo were the actual uh, frame that it was in, I would say, oh, there's negative space in this corner and that corner. But this one's just really, it's flowing. You see one character with the guitar and going down to the man who's sleeping. And uh, I feel much more drawn. I feel like it's, it doesn't feel as scripted, if that makes sense. It feels very authentic to me. Caroline is asking, is there a backstory behind the Mayo? Yeah, actually, <laughs> you know what it is? So this collage, Julie Sharp made this of me and she had been documenting some of the ridiculous things I was saying in class. And one of the things that I said during class was that I make my own mayonnaise from scratch. So she stuck that in there. And then the I want more, apparently I say that to all the students. I just always am telling them I want more. So she collected all these like little pieces from being in my class. That was pretty funny. Awesome. And here's another piece. If this were a rectangle, it would have a very different look because the drawing to me, it looks very jagged. It almost looks worn out and messy. And sometimes there's a formality to the rectangle that sometimes can get in the way. And actually this piece was made out of two old records that the student put together and then collaged on top. And the thing is it fit the theme so well because the theme, it was a portrait of this singer. And so the shape of the two final records really was great. I mean, isn't this so cool? Yeah, it's fun. That's actually really clever. I like that. Or this one, which is funny because it is a square. And yet what do those pointy shapes do to that square here? 
it's breaking every it's breaking the box um and i also like how the the character isn't exactly centered in that box shape it's a little up and maybe even towards the right a little bit but uh just the way it's laid out i think is really interesting and then this piece was actually a biography of a filmmaker and so this student actually went out and got old pieces of film and if you look at the bottom they constructed this almost three-dimensional polaroid that had an image coming out of it and this is a, such a dynamic shape i mean this would not have worked out as a rectangle and i'm surprised this is such an easy thing to do and almost nobody does it in art school portfolios it's like very very low effort okay wearable art did you ever make any wearable art in high school jordan <laughs> High school, no. College, yes. I don't think I ever made wearable art, which is crazy to me because there are so many cool projects that they make you do in art school. And this is one of my favorite tutorials that we have, which is to make a copper cuff. And basically, you take a sheet of copper foil and you emboss it and create all these designs. You can add a patina to it that gives it this like really beautiful sheen. And this is not something I see at all. A lot of the times for wearable art, people do this. They, they make a design and then they find a photo of a blank t-shirt and then they put the design on the t-shirt. Like, how is this better <laughs> than that? Yeah, you know, as much as I like t-shirts with cool stuff on it, I think that this and the surprise of it and the fact that there's something in Boston, like you could see things in it and, uh, the creativity it takes and the effort it really takes to do all that is on a whole different level than just printing on a shirt or Photoshopping on a shirt. Now, I know we all have experienced a lot of masks <laughs> in the past year and a half, but actually this piece was made well before the pandemic. But notice that it's a wearable piece. And also, why is it so important that the mannequin is there, Jordan? I think it's all about context. If you were to see a mask without the head attached, then you could be saying something completely different. And so I think that it just helps you to see like, oh, this is what this is, this is what this does. And could there have been an actual person in the mask? Maybe, but I think that this gets the point across just as well, honestly. Well, and actually sometimes if you have a person wearing it, if you're not good at photography or you don't know how to set it up well, it can actually be more distracting. So sometimes something like a mannequin can make things better, although you can do it with a person. I'm just saying it's really easy to mess that up. And again, this is where you can just really play around with your materials. 3D artwork. I so rarely see 3D artwork in portfolios. Usually if it's a portfolio of 20 pieces, maybe there's one, but most of the time there's nothing. Did you have any 3D in your art school portfolio? Not a one, not a one thing. <laughs> Why not? It just wasn't my cup of tea. Uh, I've done 3D and that's actually kind of how I started doing art. It was a lot of 3D stuff, but I shifted and now I like things on paper. And <laughs> well, 3D is such an easy thing to think about, like, oh, I'll make a 3D piece. But I think what's really hard about it 
is a lot of people don't know what materials to use. And if they do think of something they want to do, a lot of the times people don't know, oh, what supplies do I need? What tools do I need? But I think you're seeing here that you don't need fancy expensive supplies. Like this is a chipboard project and you can totally do this with corrugated cardboard. You just need a knife, a glue gun. This person just carved an apple. And so the 3D artwork that you create, it does not have to be super high end welding, something crazy. Like, do you know what this one's made out of? I. I think you're breaking up a little bit, Jordan. Anyway, it's pantyhose, which has been like stuffed with cotton or something. And I just think that's awesome. Sonnet says, how many different mediums do you recommend including in your portfolio? What do you think, Jordan? Um, well, usually I would, I think that the recommended amount is like 12 to 20 uh, pieces in a portfolio. So you could do half of them if that's what you're interested in. And again, this is stuff, this is if you are interested in doing this stuff, we don't want to force you to do something that you don't, you know, enjoy doing, but have the curiosity to try. So try 50% of your work doing 3D or mixed media or whatever. Gary Knowlton says, what types of photos are ideal for representing 3D art? Well, this is a really nice photo. Do you see how clean the background is? Like if I go back, you'll notice that some of these don't have very good photos. Like to me, this one, you can see the sculpture, but it's a little bit dark. And if you go back and you look at, let's say this one, you can see the line in the background. So there are little things like that. And what I would recommend you do is we do have a short video that distills all the things you need to know to photograph 3D artwork, because it's hard. A lot of people mess it up and you can get to the point where your photograph actually misrepresents what the piece is. So definitely look up that video because it's not hard to photograph 3D work. It's just, you have to know very specific things <laughs> and you don't need to reinvent the wheel. We already figured it out for you. So we're just going to let you know the answers at the back of the textbook. <laughs> Ginger Cell says, is it bad if all your works are different media? I'm not super good at one medium, but I'm somewhat good in a lot of different ones. Uh, I don't think that's a bad thing because when you're when you're applying to art school, most people who do that are 17, 18 years old. And I don't think any school expects you to know exactly what you want to do by the time you graduate four years from then. So this is the time to experiment. This is the time to show like, hey, I'm not just a one trick pony. I have I am a jack of all trades. I can do this. I can do this. I can do this. And even for job stuff, that's even better just to be that marketable and that skilled in a lot of different areas is great. And also don't ever make an assumption on a certain material, because I remember when I was in art school, I did not want to take the 3D class, but it was required. You had to take it. And I was really annoyed because I was just into painting and it didn't interest me at all. But I had so much fun in my 3D class that I actually ended up getting my master's in sculpture later. So I'm not saying that will necessarily happen to you, but keep an open mind because sometimes we think we're not going to enjoy something. It actually ends up being awesome <laughs> later on. Okay. I feel a little bad recommending this one because this one's hard. And so if there's anything here, I would skip. This is the one. But why is linear perspective going to make you stand out, Jordan? 
because people hate drawing perspective. <laughs> uh, it's not, it is not particularly fun for most people. Uh, and a lot of, and the thing with it is it's either right or it's wrong. You know, there's, there's very, there's a very small margin of error when it comes to perspective. And if that does show itself in your portfolio, then that's gonna, that's gonna catch someone's eye. I would skip it if you don't feel like you're interested or don't want to take the time to learn it because linear perspective is not something you can learn overnight. Whereas things like, Oh, just don't make it a rectangle. That's pretty easy. So if you don't have a lot of time, but if you know, linear perspective, I know sometimes people have a lesson on it in their art class and you know how to do it well, Oh boy, can you get some really dramatic work and this drawing, a lot of people want to think of this as a stereotypical linear perspective drawing because it's very dynamic. It's very painterly. It's not so precise and drawn with a ruler. And so there are many different ways that you can do linear perspective. It's not just pencil drawings, but if you're going to skip anything, this is the one. <laughs> Jordan, did you ever do printmaking in high school? Not in high school, no. Um, I don't even think that was an option <laughs> in high school for me. Why do you think so few people do printmaking? Because I feel like I see less printmaking than I see 3D, which is saying a lot. Um, I think part of it could be just lack of knowledge, not knowing what it is or how to define it. Uh, there's a lot of mystery around it. Even for me still, like there's still quite a bit of mystery surrounding what, like all the facets of printmaking. And I imagine someone who's just starting to apply to art school is probably feeling the same way. I mean, I'm a big printmaking nerd, but the thing is, I know how much expertise is necessary to do this. And it's not that easy to teach yourself because you need to have the right equipment. And some of the technical stuff can really get in the way. Like if you have the wrong paper, you don't have the right ink, you didn't, there's so many things that can totally go wrong <laughs> with printmaking. And so again, it's like, yeah, not everybody maybe has the guidance or the supplies or anything that they need to do printmaking, but if it's maybe something you do in your art class, it's definitely something to pay attention to because it's really fun and you can get some really amazing results that I think a lot of people don't even consider. So Soitenly says printmaking is a bit expensive to start. It doesn't have to be. I mean, these jelly plates, I'm showing you one right now. If you get a small one, you can do a jelly plate with acrylic paint. It doesn't have to be super expensive. But again, like Ginger Cell says, is it hard to find resources for printmaking? Yes, it is. I mean, we have a lot. And actually, this one's really fun. Carving and printing rubber stamps. You don't even need ink. It's just a stamp pad. And yeah, you have to get a linoleum cutter. But the results are so cool. And you are really going to stand out if you do printmaking in your art school portfolio. Lily says, is there such a thing as doing too much printmaking? Because I don't want to major in printmaking, but I really like doing lino cuts. Is there such a thing as too much of anything as an artist, Jordan? Never. Just like figure drawing. Never. Never get enough. <laughs> yeah. It, it, I'll, I'll say like for this, though. Yeah, yeah I, I think for this particular question, though, um, this is just to get into the school. This isn't necessarily declaring what major you're going to be in. People change their opinions all the time. So I wouldn't worry about that in terms of, you know, having too much. 
Backgrounds, everybody's favorite thing in high school. I mean, why does nobody draw backgrounds in high school, Jordan? Do you have an explanation for this? I think it kind of falls into the same category as the perspective and not a lot of people want to do it. Um, most people, especially if they are like me, want to just draw characters and, you know, cool objects and stuff. And they don't really think about the environment that they're in. So having any background is going to help you because most artists in high school are really into the portrait or the figure. And then you just have these people floating in white space. I mean, it's one thing if you're in a figure drawing class, you're doing gesture drawings, that's sort of different. But if you're doing a full out portrait, look at what the environment can do. I mean, Jordan, why is the environment so successful here? It's telling a story, it's setting the mood. There's a composition, it's leading your eye um, and, and trying to, we're trying to figure out like where these people are going. Like what's this archway that they're walking under? And I'm curious to know what's behind the trees and everything. It just, um, you know, it, there's just so much to unpack there. And if that background were not in this piece, probably the piece wouldn't exist, but there would be so much uh, left unsaid. By the way, this is by Kat Huang. Sorry, I forgot to label the slide. But if anybody here is wondering about backgrounds or saying, well, I don't know what to do, watch some of our background videos, because I think once you start to realize the potential that a background has, it's like a whole other universe is going to open up. C. Cantrell says, for sure, no one talked to me about backgrounds ever in high school. Did they talk to you about backgrounds in high school, Jordan? Um, I think they did, but really what to do in specific scenarios. Yeah, unfortunately, no. Yeah. And backgrounds are hard. That's the other reason. I mean, a lot of the things we're suggesting for people to do, there's a reason why nobody does them because they're hard and they're not easy to pull off overnight. Animation and film. Now, this is funny because Jordan, I grew up in the era of animation being obsessively expensive and just really not accessible to a lot of people, but you can do animation for free now so fast. So this is a tutorial that Deepti did where you just carve or you draw on top of a vegetable. You use the free stop motion animation app and boom, you got an animated piece for your portfolio. And Jordan, do these animated pieces, do they need to be like films or can you do something a little bit smaller? Uh, you know, if you're that ambitious to make a whole film, go for it. I actually did that. I did like a one minute short film uh, in my portfolio, but I don't think that's necessary. And it took me like eight months to do it. So <laughs> yeah, don't, don't hurt yourself, but have fun with it. Show what you can do. And it, like, like the rest of the stream, experiment and try and be, Try and be you, be your unique self. <laughs> and you know something with animation, you don't even have to make things from scratch. Like this is one that one of our interns made. It's just a piece of clay with two googly eyes, that's it. You don't even have to have like a full out sculpture. And this is a really cool cut paper animation. It's stop motion. So she just cut out a bunch of pieces, moved them around. And this is a beautiful, animation. And these are all short. These are not pieces that go on and on. 
And I think sometimes people do think, oh, it, it's got to be a film. It's like, no, you could do just a quick little loop and that would totally be okay. Perry Yu says, if I'm applying to animation illustration with the goal of doing visual development, I've experienced on a visual development studio job. Would it help my portfolio stand out in a good way? What do you think? Um, yeah, I think so. Um, you know, I don't imagine that anyone would have a problem with you having experience working in the field that you want to work in while applying to school. Like, I, I just can't see where that's going to be a, a downside for you. Um, and so, yeah, if, if you're applying, mention it, put it somewhere or say it in your, um, your art statement or your statement of intent or something like that and see where it goes. Well, here's a follow-up. They're saying, or should I do my own oh. stories and characters only? Yes, I would. Because you don't want to submit something that 15 other people worked on. That's not really appropriate for an art school portfolio. So I don't know the specifics of your situation, but yeah, you do want it to be totally your thing. Errol says, what about white backgrounds? Uh, I think it depends on the piece. Uh, I'm not going to say white backgrounds never work, but it is something that's incredibly common. Uh, and if it's going to be like that, I would, I think you need to plan for a white background. Like, if, like Claire said earlier, if you're doing a figure drawing, that's one thing entirely. If you're doing a fully painted thing and it just has a white background or like how little kids do like the blue strip of sky at the top of their page, something like that, then you might want to reconsider. I would just say, Errol, you can let the white background go for a little bit. You can try some other things <laughs> because every time we tell people the background, there's always somebody who says, but what if I need the white background? And I'm like, all right, you could just eliminate all these possibilities and just do that one thing over and over again. And it's like, okay, if you really put yourself out there, you still decide, well, I only want to do white backgrounds, fine. But you got to give these other things a shot first. I know they're hard. I know they're not what you're used to, but th this is why these things will make you stand out because not a lot of people are doing them in these art school portfolios. So artist books, you ever make an artist book by hand, Jordan? I think, I think I have, I'm trying to remember when and where you, you know i made a book like i actually like the, the uh oh my gosh the binding and everything but i didn't put anything in it this i was taking a book making class so yeah that was it i mean you can make an artist book and leave it blank these are artist books that i made in my pre-college design class where i had the students actually create something inside so they used to do these wash paintings but you can see this is such a beautiful format it's really fun and also, if you want to just make like a Coptic stitch book, to me, that totally counts. I mean, I almost never see artist books in art school portfolios. And it's challenging, but this tutorial walks you through step by step. And as long as you're willing to follow the tutorial, you really can get good results. Well, collage, another area that sometimes people think, oh, collage, I did that in first grade. That's not really going to be serious enough, but we've got this collage from Jordan. Tell us about this piece. Um, yeah, so this was done in pre-college and I I don't even remember if it was supposed to be a collage piece. This was, I really don't remember, but I did enjoy this. And I think my method was, I just 
painted everything and then I cut it up afterwards actually and spread things out. So I probably made it a lot simpler than it needed to be, but I had I had fun with it. I think it came out with a really cool image that worked well in my portfolio at the time. Yeah, and we have lots of tutorials that will give you some guidance, but I think what's fun about collage is that you can move things around. Like when you're doing a drawing, you want to move the head six inches over, it's sort of a pain in the butt. And you can even make your own collage supplies. Like this is a project that Lauren put together where you actually just paint textures and patterns on sheets of, of paper, and then you cut them out into different shapes and you can create a scene. So collage can really be extremely fun and experimental. All right, everybody, we have some art school portfolio goodies for you that are brand new. Check out our prop.org. We have this section under learn and create. These are tracks. It's a structured sequence of video lessons and prompts, and we have one for art school portfolios. Jordan, why do you think people feel so lost when they're doing an art school portfolio? And why might this structured track be helpful? I think it's one of those, I think when you're creating a portfolio, there's often so many questions because most people have never made one before. And so you're trying to not only produce good work, but then trying to find out what work to produce that will impress these colleges that get all thousands of submissions a year. And so by having a set structure like this, I think that it'll put minds at ease and it'll make everyone say, oh, well, I can do that. No problem. Just give me a couple of days and a couple of weeks and I'll be set. And then the other thing we have, in addition to the tracks, so just to be clear, the tracks are free. You have all the video lessons, everything is available. Now the premium courses build on top of the track. So we use the track in the premium courses and we do charge a fee for these. But what's really nice about the premium courses is you get to work with myself and the art prof staff. And we have voice sessions twice a week. And then we also have critiques that we provide in the Discord. So Jordan, why do you think this addition of the feedback in the Discord, ongoing voice sessions with us, why is that different than say just the free track that you're like totally on your own? I think getting feedback is one of the most important things about being an artist. And oftentimes when we're creating something, we have a hard time self-critiquing and knowing what's wrong and what's going right. And so to have people to bounce this off of through voice sessions and the Discord and everything, it just makes it so much easier. And uh, it, quite frankly, that's kind of what art school is. You're just verbalizing, you know, and critiquing the whole time. That's that's literally it. So you're getting like a mini shot of that in this. And I also think for a lot of high school students preparing their portfolio, they don't have guidance. A lot of times your high school art teacher maybe isn't equipped to do that, or you're trying to get feedback from your mom. Like, does that work, Jordan? <laughs> no. Mm -mm. no. Uh, I wouldn't trust family with feedback from art unless they are artists themselves. <laughs> Even then, they're so biased and you're like, oh, you're just saying that to be nice. We're going to kick your butt in the premium course, and we're keeping the premium courses very small. So each section is just six students. We're gonna really work with all of you very intensively, and there'll be lots of butt kicking. So if you need your butt kicked, you should sign up for a premium course. We are running two of them. One is gonna be for three weeks in December. We're gonna do another one that is four weeks in January, and all that information is posted on artprof.org. 
So check that out. This slideshow is also available. The link is in the YouTube video description below, and you can access all of our slideshows on artprof.org. Artprof has a podcast. It's available on Spotify and also on iTunes. And Jordan and I are going to be hanging out in the Artprof Discord in the post live streams channel in about a minute. You can hang out with us, and we can answer some of your questions. I know there are some that I missed that came in towards the end. Subscribe to our channel, like this video, leave us a comment because we always need help with the YouTube gods. And a big thank you to our top Patreon supporters for helping us keep ArtProf up and running so we can provide resources for all of you. Thank you so much for watching. We'll see you next time. Bye.